Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. Episode 22 here. Uh, took a few weeks off. Both of us been pretty busy. Both went on vacations for the summer and just getting set for the school year coming up here in the next couple of weeks. But to kick off the episode, we want, to, we want to announce that we'll be implementing a revised pod schedule. So starting on August 23rd and 26th, which is next Tuesday, a week from today, and the following Friday, We'll be recording and releasing a podcast each Tuesday and Friday. Yeah, a little bit different here. Um, just since football season's ramping up, we wanted to kind of switch it up a little bit and get some more content out there, be able to kind of separate, um, you know, our football content from our regular content. So on Tuesdays, it'll be like a normal episode plus Thursday night preview and then any NFL news. Um, and then Fridays will be all football. It'll be college and NFL picks plus recaps and picks. So. Um, like I said, Tuesday going to be normal cold seat episode. So we're going to go through any golf news, any baseball news, any basketball news. Um, and then we'll also do a Thursday night preview. So we'll make our picks for that game. Um, talk about any fantasy implications that, you know, could be going on on a Tuesday or on Thursday. I'll talk about that on Tuesdays and then any other NFL news that is broken so far. And then Friday, we'll drop an episode that has like a full, um, you know, college preview for the week, NFL preview for the week. Um, so for college picks, we're going to do the tech picks. So each pick, you know, who thinks going to win the game, the Texas Tech game that week. We'll do every ranked matchup, and then we'll each pick two other matchups that we don't talk about. So, um, you know, say Alabama's going to play Texas. For example, Alabama versus Texas. If Texas isn't ranked, but Alabama is, we'll talk about the game regardless. Um, if, if both teams are ranked, even better. And like, it's, like we said, Breno each pick two non-ranked matchups that we want to talk about or make picks for for the week. And then the NFL picks, we're going to do picks versus the spread. So, for example, say week one, the Chargers play the Raiders, and the game opens at Chargers favored by four and a half. Uh, if I was to pick the Chargers minus four and a half, that means I'm picking them to win and win by four and a half or more. If Brett picks the Raiders plus four and a half, that means he's picking the Raiders to either win or lose by four and a half or less. Um, we'll kind of break that down a little bit more once we get into it, but that's kind of like the basics of picking against spreads. Um, and then we'll obviously talk about any news, um, you know, going up to the week. So maybe some fantasy stuff. Don't want to get too into it. I know we're both going to be in some fantasy football leagues. Don't maybe want to give away too much of our strategy for the week, but, um, talk, just talk about any fantasy news that may happen, um, injury news that happens between Tuesday and, and Friday when we record. So I'll uh, be yeah, really excited about it. Really excited to get a little further deep dive into football. Uh, it's both of our favorite sports, both of our favorite sports to watch, talk about, uh, you name it. So we're looking forward to it. Like I said, should be really fun. Kind of get more content out for you guys as well. So um, you get. I think we're going to talk about each of our teams' matchups as well. So Brett will talk about the Ravens game a little bit. Maybe talk about the Chargers game um, a little more in depth than than we would say uh, like Packers Bears. Um, and then we'll kind of look back at the week before, look at our predictions, recap the top storylines. So like last year, for example, we would have talked about or two years ago. We would have talked about Tom Brady going back to Tampa, going back to New England, that kind of thing. That's what we would have talked about it during the week. We would recap the following week on those storylines, look back at our picks. But we'll keep a running total of our picks this year to see how we do in college and in, in, in the pros. And then we'll maybe do a combined pick total. And maybe the loser has to do something, the winner has to do something. I don't know. Um, we'll do something fun with it for sure. But, um, yeah, really excited about the new the new schedule here. Yeah, looking forward to it. Having two episodes a week will bring more content. And then also it will allow us to go, to go more in-depth on football uh, specifically. Like you said, the picks against the spread will be fun. Maybe have a couple of wages or something, but uh, definitely looking forward to it. Both our teams are supposed to be pretty good this year, and uh, 
as long as the league stays healthy, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I know last year was kind of a bummer because not only did my team, but just the league in general, there are a lot of star players that were injured. And I, didn't th I don't think it's quite as fun when you don't have the best of the best out there playing each week. This year looks like so far, um, we're on a good pace in terms of injuries. Um, don't want to jinx anything, but looking forward to it as a whole. And I think it's going to be a really good season across the league um, with more things opening up, obviously. And then, I mean, football is as big as, big as it's ever been really right now. So looking forward to it. Um, and it'll be interesting to see towards the end of the season what our picks, what our total record is against the spread. But, I mean, a lot happened in the last three weeks since we recorded. And while there's a ton of news that went down, we're going to cover most of it that went on in the NFL. But we're going to only cover the major news across the other sports. Um, so, per usual, we're going to kick it off with some golf news. Um, starting out, some uh, just decisions were made a few weeks ago. The Live Golf Tour, which you all know was started by Greg Norman, uh, Saudi Arabian-funded league overseas, it announced its 2023 season that will consist of 14 three-round tournaments with $405 million total in prizes. So with that announcement, the PGA Tour had to come back, and they made their 2023 schedule announcement a few days after, stating that they will have 44 total tournaments, so over three times as many, and they will pay out 10 mil more total, uh, so $415 million total for all of the purses across all 44 events next year. There will also be $145 million in bonuses, uh, which will be very beneficial. I think that will bring a lot of the younger guys, and we're going to see a more a heavier amateur presence on tour next year. And also, Greg Norman, who is the CEO of Live Golf, uh, like I just said, he revealed that he offered around $800 mil to Tiger Woods to join uh, the Live Golf Tour that Tiger did decline. He's only earned 121 mil in total from his PGA Tour throughout his career, which for – the caliber of play he was at for a long time. Nowadays, he'd be making a lot more. But 800 mil, I mean, obviously, he doesn't need that. He's a billionaire. Um, but it says a lot that he turned down that much money to stay with the PGA. And PGA is having a meeting this week, and Tiger flew in and is going to try to help revive the tour and kind of prevent the live golf from poaching the top players off of the PGA tour. Yeah, I think it definitely uh, definitely says a lot about Tiger and his loyalty to the PGA. Um, I also beg his question, like if he had went and joined the live, like what kind of sponsorships would he maybe lost? Um, obviously, like you said, the guy's a billionaire. He's made a lot of money from his endorsements. And that's kind of the theme with like a lot of these older, older athletes that were more dominant, uh, you know, before money got huge in sports. Like, you know, Shaquille Neal is an example. That guy's made exponentially more money in advertising deals and marketing deals than he has, you know, in, in basketball. So uh, it's interesting. Maybe, you know, Tiger is going to lose some money on endorsements. Who knows? I also think he's low to the PGA, like you said. Um We'll kind of first off to recap uh, the events that have taken place recently. Uh, we had the 3M Open. Uh, Tony Finau won the event at 17 under, taking him $1.35 million. Second place went to Sung M, who finished at 14 under. Um, you know, pretty good scores there. Um, I mean, shoot 17 under over the course of four rounds is pretty uh, impressive. Uh, pretty solid for winning as well. And then Obviously, the second place guy came at 14 under. So, a uh, really strong performance from Tony this week or this past week or so um, in the 3M Open. Yeah, it's really impressive what he's been able to do this past month. Um, I follow this guy on Twitter that's big into like golf stats and percentages and kind of the different plays each player takes um, and their kind of strategy and methods behind what got them to the tour and the top of the world. Um, 
Finau's always been a guy that really just played traditional, always been a really good guy. Everyone likes him, and he really didn't have much success. Would always finish near the top, but never took home the dub. And, I mean, he's been hot. I think his past 20 rounds or so have all been like 68 or less, which is insane. And he has like a plus five handicap or whatever, which doesn't exactly mean five under par he averages, but it's somewhat around there, and which is just crazy. I mean, normally a scratch golfer is a zero, so he's five five better than a scratch. And technically, if someone with a 10 handicap, so like about 15 strokes worse than him per round, were to play a PGA Tour course, they would be given like 20-something strokes, which is just insane because like that's a really good golfer that's getting 27 strokes over 18 holes to play on par with Tony Fina. So it's just speaks to how dominant he's been recently. Uh, but if, a couple weeks ago, the week after the 3M Open, we had the Rocket Mortgage Classic, which is always played in Detroit Golf Club in Detroit, Michigan, obviously. Uh, and Fina won it again for the second straight week. This week, a little better. Of course, played a little easier as he won at 26 under by five strokes. Second place winner was at 21 under. He took home one and a half mil from that. Um, so three mil almost in a couple weeks, pretty solid. Uh, definitely heating up as he only had a few PGA Tour victories prior to that. And winning two right here in the past few weeks is really impressive for him. And just overall speaks to the work he's put in over the last year or so to finally get to the top of the leaderboard and stuff like that. Um, but then after that, last week, we pretty much had what, I mean, most would say the probably least important PGA Tour event of the season, 44-event season. It was the Wyndham Championship. Uh, most of the top players do not compete in that as they're preparing for, preparing for the FedEx Championship, which is a two-week event, and it is monumental in terms of gaining the FedEx Cup points, which basically um, either improves or worsens your world ranking and leads to you winning the season as a whole, kind of like a Super Bowl, but it's just like accumulation of all the points you've uh, kind of racked up over the season based off where you finished. So last week was the first one. This upcoming week's the second one. Yeah, it was a really good tournament over the course of four days. Uh, the FedEx St. Jude Championship at TC, TPC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I mean, it was an incredible four days of golf. Uh, Will Zell Torres took home his first ever tour victory. Just a week after switching caddies, he finished at 15 under and took home $2.7 million. He beat out Sepp Straka. In a three-hole playoff, um, Will had an incredible last round of golf to that kind of down the stretch of the eight. The, I guess the back back nine on the on the final day, and then three-hole playoff as well. Um, he had an, I mean, like it's just an incredible stretch, like some of the back nine um, had some crazy shots, kind of to win, uh, which is really good, really really good to see. I was rooting for Will. Uh, I've been rooting for Will for a while now. It's been super close for. It feels like every every tournament he's he's finishing top five and just can't quite close it out. Um, really glad to close it out this week. Um, happy for him. Again, switching caddies is uh, pretty impressive. It is it the week after, but it shows how much that went to, um, you know, benefit his game. Yeah, he's a guy that, like Finau, is coming right at the top almost every event, but can't quite get to the very top. And he finally did here, uh, as Finau did a couple weeks prior. Really impressive stuff. Uh, one of the young guys that I think is going to be you know, the next dominant guy on tour from the U.S. And it's really speaks to the work he's put in to be able to finish this high and even switching caddies. I think 
while switching caddies may not have a huge benefit, caddies talk to their players throughout the round. And a lot of the times caddies are more so um, just like mental instructors rather than saying, all right, you should hit this club here. Um, you know, Zalator's been playing golf. All these guys know exactly what club they should hit, but it's more about the different approaches you can take to each shot and just overall talking to them throughout the round, keeping them in the right headspace and stuff like that. So I think that was really beneficial. Um, a huge event that he won at 15 under impressive. Um, Southwind is known as a tough course. Uh, definitely a course I want to eventually play someday, but he was, he was looking really good. The final hole. Uh, so the three hole playoff, they played the 18th, they both parted then they went back and played it again. They both parted again. So for the third playoff hole, they went all the way back to the 11th and it was a par three kind of over water. And there's like a rock wall, like at the edge by the water and then the grass and then like the rough and the fringe and green. So it's pretty much all water par three um, between the tee and the green is just a little pond and, and Zalatoris tees it up first. And obviously everything's on the line with each shot here in the playoff and he hits it and it looks good. It looked a hair short and it bounces on that bounces on that rock about a foot past the water and it stays right on the rock. It bounced about six times on the rock without going in the water, which was crazy. I mean, everyone thought it was going in the water. No one thought that it would stay on that rock because, I mean, if you're hitting it from 160 yards out and it hits a rock, I mean, it's probably going to go back. And then Sup comes up next. He hits the rock too, but his shot bounces back into the water. So immediately loses a stroke and kind of close the book on that playoff. I mean, you lose a stroke. Zalatoris dropped because he couldn't hit from the rock. Um, but I mean, Sep had to re-tee and stuff like that. So Zalatoris immediately had the upper hand on that hole and closed it out with the bogey. I mean, when you close out a three-hole playoff with a bogey on a par three, it just speaks to how, I mean, how hard the course was and how well they both played to be able to come down the stretch and win at 15 under was really impressive. But we're, we're now all caught up with all the events. And we only have two more events of the PGA Tour season this year. And starting this Thursday, we have the BMW Championship, which is on the south course at Wilmington Country Club in Wilmington, Delaware. Last year, Patrick Cantlay won and what was a dominant finish to the season for him. Uh, it seemed like he was winning every other event for the last few months there. The winner of this event will take home $1.84 million and will likely lock up the FedEx Cup, which is always really impressive. Um, fun to watch. DJ tour off season isn't too long. So right around the corner, we'll be, you know, maybe after the next couple of weeks, we'll probably only be discussing guys leaving for live or joining PGA, stuff like that. But not for long, we'll be talking about events coming up, you know, the waste management, uh, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, stuff like that. So looking forward to it coming up. And I think this off season, off season will be really good for golf, but it's pretty much it. As we wrap up golf, uh, we're going to head to the MLB like we normally do. And, it is a standings update this week. So I'm going to kick it off and recap the AL standings. And then Brady will round out the standings with the NL standings to this point. And then we're going to talk about some news and then also some trade deadline acquisitions from a few weeks ago. So to kick off the AL, we're going to start with the AL East and a lot of movement going on right now as some teams are getting hot. Some teams are cold. Red Sox are in the bottom right now at 57 and 59, 15 games back of the Yankees and five games back of an AL wildcard spot. In fourth, the Orioles are 60 and 55, 11 and a half back and one and a half back of the AL wildcard. 
Orioles a little bit cold. Uh, they lost three or four before winning last night, and they're looking good. Obviously, five games over 500. No one expected them to be that at that point any time this year. Um, so it's exciting to see what they're doing. I think just speaking on them because it's my team, I think that they can do a lot with what they have right now. It's just they got to put the right lineups together. I mean, their series in which they lost two of three against the Rays, which was a huge series, they didn't really have the lineup that many thought they would. They put guys with sub 500 OPS is in the lineup and it's just not really beneficial to a team that's trying to get a wild card spot. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm just looking forward to the future. They're going to think make some moves this off season and get the right lineups out there, call up their couple top prospects, which should be exciting. Um, so I think 86 wins this year, I'll be good with, I think they can get there. And I think that'll be really impressive to close out to the season for them, especially with how it started. Like I said, they're one and a half back of a spot right now, and they just beat the Blue Jays last night, who are a game and a half ahead of them in the division. Blue Jays are 61 and 53, and they're 10 games back, holding the third AL wildcard spot currently. In second place is the Rays at 61 and 53, 10 back as well, holding the second wildcard spot. So a few games going one way, and the Orioles could be second. You know, the Red Sox could go from fifth to second. I mean, it's crazy right now what – the wild cards looking like for the AL and then at the top right now, the Yankees are 72 and 44 with the fourth best record in the league. Um, I've been playing real bad the past few weeks, only have a couple wins over the past few weeks. And it's just kind of weird to see a team that had, so, I mean, was so hot the whole year, just go so cold so quickly. And I think, you know, they'll find their groove again. I think it's better for them to have this now than at the end of the year, but I mean, it's, they got to figure out pretty soon because, you know, playoff race is heating up, and we only have about a month and a half here until the wild card and divisional matchups. They are central here, um, one of the worst divisions in baseball, if not the worst. The Tigers are at the bottom at 30 games under 544 and 74. They're 19 games back with a third worst record in the MLB. Uh, the Royals are 48 and 69, 14 and a half back. They're not going to do anything this year. In third place, we have the White Sox at 60 and 56. Kind of held steady a little bit, heated up a little bit. Um, two games back right now of the division lead and of the AL wild card. And that is also true for the Twins, who are 59 and 55. Two games back of each the division leader and the AL wild card. And then leading the Central is the Cleveland Guardians at 62 and 54. Have played pretty well recently. Uh, you know, 62 and 54, only eight games over 500. But I mean, they're leading the division, even though it doesn't really say a whole lot. Um, it gets you probably a wild card matchup in this case. And I think, I think they'll probably end up winning the division. I think they're playing the best overall right now and have the most well rounded roster in that division. And then to wrap up the AL, we have the AL West, uh, the Oakland Athletics, 41 and 75. I mean, they haven't done anything this year. It's pretty funny to see. The downfall just from the past few years has their 33 and a half back of the Astros. Second worst record in the majors. Fourth in the division, we have the Angels. They are 51 and 65, so 23 and a half back. Um, you know, we'll have some news on them here pretty soon, but very disappointing season for them as, you know, people thought they would be fighting with the Astros for a division title. Uh, Rangers are in third right now at 52 and 63, slipping a little bit. They're likely out of the race at 22 back. Um, would need to go on a run here if they won't have any hopes of getting a wild card spot, but we'll also have some news on them. Uh, Seattle Mariners, 63 and 54, 12 games back, have looked really good. 
honestly, um, really over the past month or so. Cooled off a little bit, but they've gotten some really good wins, played well against the Yankees, and they hold the first AL spot. So everyone's pretty close within that AL wildcard race. I mean, from the Mariners who are at the top uh, to, you know, the Red Sox who are fighting for that third wildcard spot. I mean, everyone is within five, six games of each other, which is really impressive. And then to round out the AL with the best record in the AL, we have the Houston Astros at 75 and 42, looking really good. They made a couple good, really good acquisitions at the deadline, including Mancini from the Orioles. He's played really well for them. Uh, they have the third respect, best record in the majors. Uh, but looking good, I would expect them to win the AL at this point. Even though they're only two and a half games above the Yankees, I think they're just trending and they've been a far more consistent team. Yeah, I think you hit on it earlier. I mean, the Yankees kind of hitting their first kind of slow stretch of the year. I think it's happened to – we look at the best teams in baseball right now, the five best records of, you know, the Dodgers, Mets, Astros, Braves, and Yankees. Uh, all, you know, I think the Dodgers, Astros, Mets, and Braves have all had their cold spells already. Um, Astros kind of went cold uh, towards the early part of the year. Dodgers went cold in May. Uh, you know, the Mets went cold right around the same time the Dodgers did in kind of late May, early June. Um, the Braves were cold, really cold start the year. So I think it's just, I think I, we talked about it before, is the Yankees were going to keep that historic pace going. Um, you know, kind of touch on the Dodgers record, um, how they got to be the best record in baseball, being super hot lately. And I don't think that's going to be sustained either. But um, even with the Mets lately as well. So we'll start off the NL East uh, with the Mets division. Uh, the Nationals at 39 and 78 sit six or 36 and a half games back with the worst record in baseball. I mean, they traded Juan Soto. Um, we'll get into that kind of that haul in a minute, but um, I mean, they've been terrible. They've off the moment. They went from winning the World Series in 2019 to offloading every superstar they had um, in order to rebuild, which is crazy. Um, the Miami Marlins are at 51 and 65, uh, 24 games back. Pretty quiet. The deadline, um, not really a lot going on there from them. Probably thought a couple more guys would get moved that just they didn't pull the trigger on. Um, I had some deals in place to move a couple of players. They just decided not to, um, which is understandable. Um, you know, maybe want to plan for the future a little bit. Um, keep some of their young players. Uh, the Phillies at 64 and 51, 10 and a half games back, hold the second wild card spot in the National League. Um, they've been really good lately. They've been, you know, despite some injuries, they've played uh, really good baseball the past month and a half, month especially after the break. Um, you know, hopefully they can get Bryce Harper back for a postseason run. I think it's kind of what they're hoping for. Um, that was kind of – they've done everything they've wanted to do with Bryce out, which is, you know, stay in the playoff hunt and uh, kind of stay afloat here. Uh, the Atlanta Braves at 71 and 46, four and a half games back, holding the fifth best record in the majors and the first wild card spot in the National League. Um, it seems like they're kind of a lock to get that first wild card spot. Um, and the National League kind of – they kind of – pitters out a little bit towards the back end of the wild card race, um, as opposed to the American League where there's, you know, what, four or five teams all within five games of each other looking for a wild card spot there. Um, and, of course, the Mets at 75 and 41, second best record in baseball. Um, you know, they're leading the division. They kind of led the division all year. Um, got really hot lately. I think in the past, you know, I guess past month since the break, they've been, you know, one of the best teams in baseball, probably the second best. I think they have the second best record behind the Dodgers since the break. Um, they played, like I said, they played really good baseball. DeGrom is back, pitching really well. Um, you know, I think it's kind of going right for them right now. And, um, you know, we'll kind of see how their bullpen and rotation health holds as the season goes. But right now they look really good. Uh, NL Central, if it wasn't the AL Central, the NL Central is probably the worst division in baseball. One of those two Central divisions, I mean, they're both pretty bad. Um, 
We'll start off with the Pirates at 45 and 70, 18 and a half games back with the fourth, fourth, fourth worst record in baseball. And then the Reds, half game ahead of them at 45 and 69 with the fifth worst record in baseball. Um, two teams in the cellar there that just have been there the past few years and don't look like they're going to get out anytime soon. Um, you know, it seems like every year they trade their really good talent at the deadline. Um, or, you know, a couple weeks before the deadline, and they just can't really hold on to good players anymore, which is a little disappointing for them. But uh, nonetheless, they're hoping they're rebuilding for the future at some point. Uh, Cubs, former World Series champion a few years ago at 47 and 67. Another team that has traded a bunch of te- bunch of high-quality players to different teams. A um, little disappointing from them at 16 games back this year. Kind of thought they'd be a little bit better than that, but nonetheless, um, disappointed this year with some some – Unlucky health concerns or unlucky health situations there. Um, Milwaukee Brewers, 61 and 53, two games back from the Cardinals and two games back from NFL and NL wildcard spot. Um, and then the Cardinals at 63 and 51, uh, worst division leading record in the National League, and like what, like a half game or so, uh, better than the Guardians. So, um, like I said, the Central doesn't have a bunch of great teams, but again, the Cardinals have to have had some injury luck or some. Injury luck not go their way. Same with the Brewers this year. Um, both teams are definitely threats to make a run in the playoff, no matter who they play. Um, both have really good starting pitching. Both have just, you know, they play just good baseball. Um, so it should be a fun race kind of as, as we go down the stretch here with those teams kind of neck and neck at the top. Uh, and then the NL West, we got the Rockies at 51 and 66, 30 and a half games back. Diamondbacks, 53 and 62, 27 and a half games back. Both those teams are kind of dead in the water. Now we're looking to apply that playoff spot here. The Giants at 58, 57, 22 and a half games back and five and a half games back of an a wild card spot. Um, well, they're five and a half back. Looks a little bleak for them. Um, you know, the Padres not playing very well and holding that third spot. I just don't think the, the Giants are kind of in a position to make that run late in the season to get a wild card spot, especially considering that they've got to play the Dodgers two more series and they got to play the Padres a couple more times. So it's just, they're playing really good teams to end their year. And I just don't know if they're going to be in a position to make that run. Um, the Padres at 60, 65 and 53, 17 games back and hold the third wild card spot in the national league. Um, you know, have, they've, I would say they've disappointed big time since they've acquired Juan Soto um, and Josh Bell in that move. And they just, I mean, there's got some chemistry issues. They had some really bad news at the locker room this week that we'll hit on in a minute. Um, with one of their best players, if not one of the best players in baseball. Um, they're just kind of a disappointing year. I think that's a lack of leadership there right now. Um, they're just struggling to kind of find find their way. I think the Eric Cosmer situation as well didn't really sit well with the locker room either. So kind of just a difficult situation there. They're hoping to write the ship kind of towards the back end of the season here and kind of get right before a postseason run. And then the Dodgers sit atop the division and top of, and top of baseball with the 80 and 34 record. Uh, like I said, best in the major leagues. They just got off a 12-game winning streak. They lost uh, to the Bros, and they came back last night and shut out the Brewers. So, um, you know, obviously you win 12 games in a row. That's not, that's not sustainable for the rest of the season. But it seems like everything's clicking for them amongst some bad news hitting the team this week, or yesterday, rather. Um, mine looks like they're clicking on all cylinders. Joey Gallo's been solid for them since they picked him up. Um Everyone's getting healthy at the right time for them, and it seems like they're primed to make another run this year. Um, you know, they're getting everybody healthy right at the right time, like I said. Outside of one one starting pitcher, everyone's going to be back, it sounds like. Um, getting a couple – they're getting Dustin May back on Saturday. Or Saturday. Um, they're getting a bunch of their bullpen guys back here pretty soon. So, 
um, you know, high leverage guys are getting back like Blake Tron and uh, Brewster Gratterall, Yancey Almonte. So a uh, team that looks primed to go on a run here. Um, the National League should be super interesting. And as we go down the stretch, see how the Dodgers, Mets, and Braves kind of shake out, and we'll see what happens in the NL Central as well as the wild card race. Yeah, I mean, this is really exciting time of the year across MLB as we get into some news here. But talking about the standings, I mean, it's close in most divisions, and that's what you like to see, you know, this point of the year. I think wild cards in both leagues is going to be really competitive, and I'm just really looking forward to seeing who comes out on top and who kind of falls off, uh, who's not about getting to the playoffs and who wants to try to improve their draft position to an extent, obviously not as much as they could have in previous years. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think while I've always thought tanking was bad for the league, I think with the revised drafts and the lottery and everything, I think it'll be much more beneficial to the league, much more beneficial to competition across all the divisions. And I don't think we're going to see as many teams just being terrible the whole season. You know, we talk about the the Reds, the Pirates, the Rockies, the A's. I mean, that's just the NL, and those are four teams that haven't looked good this year at all and didn't really have any sign of, you know, productive play, and it's just kind of been stuck in a rut for most of the year. I think we'll, you know, starting next year, I think it'll be really be a lot more competitive across all divisions, so that'll be fun to see. I'm going to talk about some news here. Um, I'll start with the Padres superstar. Shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, he tested positive for a banned substance, and he's been playing. He's been suspended nearly half a season, which is 80 games, and he will be ineligible for the 2022 postseason as well. He will return early in the 2023 season, but definitely a big blow to the Padres, who just can't click really, uh, can't go on a run, and it seems like they're just kind of stuck. I mean, they traded away Eric Hosmer, and they've tried to make some moves, and it's just. I mean, they re-signed Joe Musgrove, and it's just not really working out the way they envisioned it this year. Obviously, when you're missing pretty much your best player in Tatis, it's tough, but I think they should be a team that should adjust. And, you know, next year, I think they should come back and play much better. Side note, it was funny. Uh, yesterday, I think it was Jerickson Profar was playing left field, and uh, who was it, Rojas? Um, yeah. Was He hit a gapper in the left center, and – Profar fielded it off the wall and he was challenging Rojas to go to third by waving his glove at him as Rojas was approaching second and Rojas bet up and he, uh, he took the challenge from Profar and he actually got to third a hair before the throw it was a good throw. No problem with that. But it's just like when you're challenging a dude to take extra bases on you, it's kind of, uh, you don't like to see it. So he got a mouthful when he got to the dugout, but I just thought that you was better funny. throw him out. You better throw him out. If you're going to challenge a guy, you better you better nail him at third base. If you're going to sit there and wave your glove at him. Yeah, that was, I mean, that's just kind of, I feel like that's a, a microcosm of what their season's been, if you will. Um, they just, it's just every, it feels like every year around this time, there's something that goes on in that, in that clubhouse and they just, they can't click. Like I said, I feel like it's a lack of veteran leadership. Um, like you mentioned with Eric Hosmer, it's, you know, a guy who was supposed to be a veteran leader for them. Uh, they're going to try, they try and trade him in the, in the Juan Soto deal. And he doesn't waive his no trade clause. It leads to another, another teammate having to get shipped off to another team. And here's Hosmer still on the team, um, you know, trying to be a leader, but it's also hard to respect a guy that, that won't better the team by biting the bullet and just 
recognizing that he's been terrible and that his contract is awful and the team wants to get rid of him. Um, you know, if he really cared about the success of the team, he would have just let it go. Um, but again, I don't know. He's got, I guess he's got a family. He's got, you know, a wife and kids that have put down roots in San Diego. So it's hard to, hard to say that, that he should have just done it. But at the same time, um, from a player respect, you know, uh, standpoint, it's kind of hard to allow that guy to be a leader, I think is, um, as with what they need, you know, when Manny Machado is the guy trying to speak up and be a leader in the clubhouse, not necessarily the best guy to be a leader based upon some of the stuff he's done on the field and off the field. Um, not that he's a terrible human being, but he's just, I don't know if he's the face of, of leadership uh, in a clubhouse, especially at this age, maybe as he gets a little older, but just some of the stuff that he's done in the past, um, kind of his temper that he has sometimes, maybe not the best suited for a bunch of young, you know, hot-headed superstars like they have. Um, you know, I think, I don't know if you saw it, but, um, you know, Machado spoke on it. Mike Clevenger spoke on it. Joe Musgrove spoke on it. Um, you know, not really glowing things to say about Tatis um, after this, this basically PED test um, came back positive. Uh, you, know, you never want to say that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not rooting for the guy to, to be suspended. I, I think he's, I think he's one of the best players for baseball. I think we need more players like him in baseball that want to have fun and want to get the youth involved in the game. Um but at the same time, like how much longer can the Padres go on with him? I mean, this is like, you know, the third or fourth big major screw up from, from Tatis. You go back to the injured, to the broken wrist when he was riding motorcycles, when he shouldn't have been. You go back to the video of him going, what, 80 miles an hour on a dirt road with his head out the window with four of the people in the car, that kind of stuff. It's just not a good look for them. And I think his teammates kind of feel that way and that they're a little frustrated and a little upset by it, which they, they rightfully should be. Um, you know, they're all trying to win a World Series and, they're clearly going all, all out to do so. And it's just, you got to have that guy out. If, it, if that guy's on the field, you're not going to win a World Series. It's just how it is. I mean, he's one of the best players in baseball. So, um, you know, understandably frustrated for them. But we'll kind of get into some other news in the a, in the NL West. Uh, Dr. Dodgers ace Walker Bueller will not return this season from injury. So he'll be undergoing elbow surgery on August 23rd. Uh, Walker's been out since May. Kind of had a, a little deal he was working through in his shoulder and elbow. Um, he was doing a throwing program. Got about to 120 feet throwing and just kind of felt some discomfort, did another MRI, and then he's going to have surgery on the 23rd. The extent of the injury and the recovery timetable uh, will be released following the surgery and the procedure. Nobody really knows what it is or what the extent of it is or what, you know, how long he's going to be out, when he's going to be back. Nobody really knows. Um, they haven't released that yet. They're going to release it after the surgery. Um, really just having it the 23rd, so we'll kind of see what happens there. Um, tough blow for the Dodgers. I mean, they're getting Dustin May back, but – Hard to not want a guy like Walker Bueller back with his his pedigree and his postseason pedigree as well. Um, so it's tough for them, but uh, they should be able to survive without him. They've done it all this whole year. Um, just sucks for Walker, a uh, young superstar uh, pitcher for them, and um, dealt with some elbow issues in the past. I know he had Tommy John uh, coming out of college. So you know, hopefully that's not what it is. Hopefully it's just kind of a cleanup of the elbow, and he's back pitching next year. Uh, for his sake, and he's a really good guy. I'm a big fan of his personally, but um, – yeah, he'll be done for the year. Won't be making a comeback this season. Yeah, it's definitely disappointing when a team is playing really well, loses one of their best guys. Uh, definitely really valuable position as pitchers kind of, you know, they have a lot more to do in a game than most other players. And I think when you get, you know, a staff locked in and you lose one and you can't consistently stay healthy, it's kind of disappointing for any team, but especially when you're trying to make a run. Um I mean, that's the name of the game. You just, it's these things happen across all sports and across all leagues. And it's just 
disappointing when, you know, really good players aren't out there, um, whether it's injury, suspension, uh, whatever it may be. But, yeah, we're going to cover a few things, a few other things here. Uh, going to the AL real quick, the Rangers came the fourth ball club to fire their manager in season this year. They gave Chris Woodard his walking papers on Monday. Uh, very disappointing season as they're currently 11 games under 500. Yeah, the Rangers interim coach, Tony Beasley, uh, picked up his first win last night. Looking good, and it's good to see there. Uh, Rangers are, you know, one of the franchises that you kind of want to see do well, especially with both of us here in Texas as well. Um, I mean, they made a lot of – they made a lot of money moves this past offseason, and I think they'll continue to do that in the upcoming offseasons as they try to, you know, run for division title against the Astros and further than that in the playoffs in the NL and hopefully to the World Series as every team wants to. But, yeah, um, not shocked by this move. I thought it was coming a lot. A lot of the Rangers fan base didn't really care for Woodward, and I think he didn't make all the best moves, all the right decisions, whether it be a bullpen or roster or lineups and stuff like that. So I think it was the right move. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see who they hire this upcoming season or this upcoming offseason for the following seasons, but definitely something to watch for. I'll throw a name out there real quick, and this is really the only name that I'm going to know because – He's on the Dodgers staff. I wouldn't be shocked if Mark Pryor got a, a managing job, whether or not it was with Texas or not. Um, if you look at what he's been able to do with pitchers, uh, with the Dodgers, like Tyler Anderson, he has 13 and two, 13 and one or 13 and two this year, um, was a average at best pitcher before that. Andrew Haney, one of the worst starters in baseball last year, has been more than reliable for the Dodgers this year with all the injuries that they've had. Um, Tony Gonsolin, look at the development he's had. I just think that Mark Pryor doesn't – I mean, I'm sure he gets a lot of love within the scout, within the Major League Baseball world, within, like, you know, front offices. Um, don't be shocked if he goes and takes a job. I'll be really upset if he – I'll be sad if he leaves because um, he's been a cornerstone of the Dodgers franchise for a while now. Um, but I'll throw that name out there as a potential manager for – I mean, the Rangers, especially with all the young pitchers that they have, but also, you know, maybe the Angels, uh, who else fired a manager this year? Uh, the Blue Jays fired a manager – and who's the other? Who's the fourth team? Was it the Reds? I don't remember who the fourth team yeah, was. The fire I think, it was, I think the it was the Reds. I think you're, yeah, I think it was the Reds. But uh, we'll kind of get into some other news. I just want to throw that out there real quick a little kind of a hot take from the cold seat, potentially. Um, but Angels superstar Mike Trout is done for the season after being diagnosed with a rare back injury that was thought to jeopardize the remainder of his career. Although it is now ex- expected and assumed he'll be back playing in 2023 at the start of the season. Um, you know, I don't, nobody really knows what it is. They didn't really disclose what the injury is. Um, the reports were, though, that I guess per, I guess from Mike Trout, per source, sources Mike Trout. Um, but they were kind of, he was kind of saying that it was an injury that they've never really seen a baseball player get before. Um, and at least not that severe. And when he got the first got the news, he was like, they didn't know if he'd ever play baseball again. Um, you know, good, you know, thank goodness he's going to be back playing hopefully next year. Um, and the guy's the greatest player of our generation and maybe the greatest player ever. Um, the guy's incredible. Um, you know, I've definitely not been the same player in the past, you know, 18 months just while all, all the injuries he's kind of had uh, in the past couple of years. But, you know, hopefully this kind of gives him some time to get healthy and get back right, and hopefully he comes back the same player. Uh, I, hate, I hate for them to rush him back and just get him back on the field and he's not the same player. I hope they let him heal fully, and maybe if it takes an entire half of the season next year, 
whatever it takes to get Mike Trout back at the level of play he's always played at, which is the best player in baseball. I hope we can get back to that because baseball is better when he's the best player in baseball. Um, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, but again, glad that he's not going to be done for his career. Um, pretty scary though, with a guy like him, just for anybody to have an injury like that, that maybe jeopardizes their, their career, but especially a guy like Mike Trout. So good to see that he should be back within the next year. Yeah. I think it sucks that he can't stay healthy as of late. Um, like you said, when he's playing really well, it's good for the game. And I like to see him doing well. He's a good guy, a good player, and just really good for the league as a whole. Um, to round out news before we jump into some trade deadline stuff, the Braves signed their third baseman, Austin Riley, to a 10-year, $212 million deal back on August 1st. Currently only 25 years old, hitting 301 this season with 29 homers as of a week ago. And he's looking good overall, definitely beneficial for them to lock up a really impactful guy like that and keep them competing for the near future. I think while they didn't keep all the guys they wanted there, I think they'll still compete in the upcoming seasons, but you, I'll let you kick us off with some trade deadline news from the past week or so. I don't know if you saw this tweet, but the Ravens just cut Brent Hundley. I don't know why that's the cut they made, but I don't know if you saw it. Kind of a weird, kind of yeah. a weird cut though. You figure they'd have kept him on the roster and they would have traded a couple of guys. Yeah. Interesting. We'll I just saw happens. that. I don't know. I don't know if you saw that coming or what, but I'm, I was a little surprised that they cut him um, this quick. Oh, I guess yeah. they're going to, are they going to roster two quarterbacks, two or three? I just saw that. A little roster two, I think. Okay. So that, maybe it makes more sense why they cut him. Um, yeah. Kind of surprising, though. He fits, he fits that offense well as a third string guy. Mm hmm. Um, Okay, like so we're getting some trade deadline news here. Um, obviously, the big one, Juan Soto traded in a massive blockbuster along with teammate, uh, first baseman Josh Bell, who's been really good this year, uh, to the San Diego Padres in exchange for the largest prospect haul we've ever seen. Uh, the Padres traded what essentially was widely regarded as five of their top prospects, um, or young players, rather, I believe. Um, was it J.J. Abe? Abrams is his name, or no, J.J. Abrams is yeah. the director. Is, it, is that what, or C.J. Abrams is his name. Yeah, C.J. Uh, Abrams. Abrams. That's, he's a director, movie director. C.J. Abrams, uh, he just kind of been in and out of the majors this year. Um, he was a top 10 prospect in baseball going into the season. He was the number one prospect going into the season. Obviously, he graduated into the MLB. Um, Mackenzie Gore, who was the number two prospect in all of baseball a couple of years ago, traded him along with a guy who was, kind of widely regarded as their best prospect uh, in their current system. Uh, he just hadn't been ranked and updated the rankings yet. Um, he was probably one of their best prospects and two other guys that were top five, top eight prospects for them, um, as well as Luke Voigt, who ended up going in the deal after Eric Hosmer refused to waive his you no know, trade clause in his contract. Um, so kind of feel bad for Luke Voigt. They didn't want to part with him, but they ended up having to at the end of the day after, uh, after he, Hosmer wouldn't, wouldn't waive the no trade clause. Um, they also acquired all-star closer Josh Hader and probably the most surprising deal of the deadline. Nobody, I mean, when I saw it, I was thinking to myself like, wow, no one really thought that he was going to get moved. Um, there was really no inkling or indication that the Brewers wanted to move him. Um, you know, they've got another young closer that they can have. They also have Devin Williams, who's maybe the best long relief guy in, in baseball. Um, kind of a surprising move there, but, you know, I think the Brewers front office has always been good about never being in a rebuild and always kind of moving forward. Um you know, Hader, I believe Hader's a free agent after this year or next season. And, you know, his numbers aren't that great, actually, this year. He's had a pretty high – he's struggled with the long ball, giving up a lot of homers. Um, 
So just not a great season for him so far, I presume, just by the numbers um, and the fact that they moved him. But, yeah, I mean, Padres, I mean, if you want to pick a winner, they probably won the trade deadline because they got the most talent in return. But, um, you know, from all the quotes and kind of news off the jump, it doesn't sound like Juan Soto wants to be in San Diego long term. It sounds like this is a two-year rental. Doesn't shock me. Um, I, I don't know where he's going to go sign. I mean, the landscape of baseball could be entirely different in two years. Um, but interesting there. Obviously, there's been some turmoil from the locker room and clubhouse since he got there. But it should be interesting to see. I mean, listen, the Padres are going all in when they're fully healthy. They're one of the best teams in baseball, no question. Um, so definitely a couple of big moves them here for them. I believe Josh Bell's a free agent after this season. Um, so it's just part of the deal that they wanted to get him as well, uh, trying to boost that offense a little bit. Yeah, obviously the big move of the deadline, and I think while it hasn't paid off much to date, um, just a couple weeks after the deadline, I think it will next season. I think hopefully, you know, if Tatis comes back and they get all their guys together, uh, staying healthy, staying out of trouble and stuff like that, I think they'll be back to competing. It's just you got to kind of build up the culture there and get some guys to take over and kind of revamp the outlook on that team and of that city and stuff like that. So. I think it will be beneficial in the long run, regardless of how long Soto's there. Uh, Remains to be seen, I guess, but they definitely made some good moves at the deadline and didn't give up a whole lot. Obviously, giving up prospects, but prospects are just, I mean, they're just that. It's kind of, you don't know what you're going to get out of them. You don't know if they're ever going to get to the majors and stuff like that. So I think it was a good move for trade for a proven guy like Soto and getting Hader along with it uh, was really beneficial to that team. I think it'll pay off for him. Um, the Yankees, they traded uh, struggling former all-star Joey Gallo. Didn't really do much at all for the Yankees. Didn't really appreciate uh, New York as a whole. Uh, they traded him to the Dodgers in exchange for a minor league pitcher, and it's paid off pretty well. Uh, the Yankees have only won a couple games since trading him, and the Dodgers won, won on the streak and stuff like that. Uh, Gallo's been playing much better in L.A., so it's looking good so far, and I think, I mean, it was a good move. Gallo's a guy that needed a change of scenery, um, even though he'd only been in New York, you know, a short period of time. But I think it's beneficial to everybody. And it's just unfortunate for the Yankees that they trade him and they're now in this slump. All about the beard, man, I'm telling you. Yankees have that – they got to have no facial hair policy or whatever it is. It's stupid, by the way. Um, I don't know why any professional organization, like professional sports organization, would have that, but whatever. Um, you know? He gets to grow the beard back out in LA. We'll change the scenery. Go from coast to coast. It's working out for him so far. Working out for the book. That's working out for the team. I think it is good for the Yankees. I know they've only been in this slump, but that was going to happen. That was inevitable. Like you said, it's good they're getting it done now for them. Um, but I think getting the guy out of the locker room just wasn't happy is good for them as well. Um, you know, as much as you hate to say it, like a guy like that in the locker room can be. I don't want to say cancer because that's that's way too strong of a word. Um, but it's just it's just toxic for the for the for the clubhouse sometimes when you have a guy who's just unhappy and kind of hates where he's at um it's not good for anybody i mean doesn't doesn't cultivate a winning culture so um you know i think both sides both sides win there um again the records since then maybe they don't show that but um all i'm going to say is if the yankees dodgers put in the world series and joey gallo comes up late in a game to like put the dodgers ahead you best believe he's going yard the baseball gods wouldn't allow that they, i mean it, it's storybook it would have to happen um, be poetic. It'd be, it'd be incredible. Um, but no, I think, I think it's, uh, 
good. Like I said, like you said, good for both sides to get the change of scenery. Um, the Phillies acquired former all-star right-handed pitcher Noah Syndergaard from the Angels for two minor league outfielders. Uh, again, another guy who needs to change scenery. Not been good in, in L.A. for the Angels. Um, you know, add him to the list of who they thought would be really good signings as former all-stars, and they just didn't pan out for him. Um, you know, I think the Phillies get a pitcher that could potentially be reliable. Again, change of scenery. Uh, the mental game is huge. The mental aspect of the game is huge in baseball. Um can't be overlooked, especially with pitchers. So, um, you know, maybe they can get Syndergaard right in the lock something there with him and maybe make this postseason run they want to go on. Um, but, yeah, no, definitely an interesting move. Kind of disappointing if you're an Angels fan because they signed Syndergaard, what, two off seasons ago, thinking he's going to be the ace, he's going to be the guy, and it just didn't work out for him. Yeah, I mean, disappointing, but he's a guy that I like, and I think him going to the Phillies will be beneficial for everyone. And – well, it didn't work out with uh, the Angels, I think, you know, trading two outfield prospects to the Angels in return for them will be beneficial to both teams, especially with, you know, Mike Trout. It's good to have those guys in there and filling out your depth chart of your prospects and stuff like that, especially in the outfield. Uh, obviously, hope that Mike Trout comes back full strength, but you never know. So you want to have some competition down there in the minors uh, just in case. And then – as we continue with some acquisitions, uh, the Twins acquired all-star closer Jorge Lopez from the Orioles. Uh, they also got upcoming pitcher Tyler Mayle. Um, I mean, the Orioles, obviously, they're building up. Jorge wasn't too valuable. They had another really, really good closer that's doing really well. So I think it was good that they traded him. Uh, I really liked Lopez, and I think, I mean, while he ha already has a couple blown saves for the Twins, um, I mean, it was a good trade for the Orioles. I wasn't too upset with it trading, you know, arguably our best pitcher. But I think the situations that he came in to pitch weren't – I mean, we had other guys for that situation, and it's evident now that we did. And I think it was a good trade. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Orioles, like I said, are a team that's building for the next few years. I think 2024 will probably be their – 2024, 2025 be their peak in terms of potential with this rebuild. And I think it'll be exciting to watch. And I never thought Lopez was going to be a part of it. Trade him all, trade him all the value high, right? I mean, his, his value was never going to be higher than it was right now. So uh, smart move by the Orioles there. And then twins getting ma uh, mail as well is pretty, pretty solid. there, kind of bolstering that, uh, that bullpen or I guess or bullpen and the rotation kind of, as they make this push for the division, uh, kind of speed it up here as we kind of get through our MLB acquisitions and get, into the, NFL, into the NFL segment, which you got a lot to talk about there. Um, the Blue Jays acquired two-time AL hits leader Whit Merrifield from the Royals. A couple minor league prospects just bolstering, you know, the lineup there. Um, he did get a little controversial because he got back. He was unvaxxed, couldn't go play in Toronto, but he is vaccinated now. He can go play in Toronto at, in his home ballpark. Um, so good for the Blue Jays, I guess. Uh, a bit strange that Canada's still freaked out about that stuff, but, you know, whatever. I'm going to let the country do the country. That's their call. Um, you know, glad Witt's going to do what he needs to do to play baseball. Um, so, yeah, good, it works out for both sides there. Yeah, definitely. I think that was good pickup for the Blue Jays, a team that's kind of been sitting right where they're at. Um, I mean, looking good. I think they'll get a wild card spot. Um, but, I mean, whenever you add a really good hitter like Merrifield, I think it'll pay dividends for that lineup especially a lineup that hasn't really had the offensive production that they initially thought they would have going into the season. Um, 
As we keep it rolling here, the Yankees with a couple moves. They traded left-handed pitcher Jordan Montgomery from for Cardinals outfielder Harrison Bader and Cash. Um, we love the five five tool prospect cash considerations. One of the most valuable guys in the league. Um, but yeah, I mean the Yankees are just trying to make moves uh, to better the team. Obviously, a team that's buying, uh, with the exception of Gallo, which you really had no choice in. So, I mean, the Yankees are hitting the slump now, but I think they'll turn it around and be just fine come playoffs. Listen, cash considerations. Might as well be a six-tool prospect. That guy can do it all. So, uh, no, a good move. Uh, they need to get Bader healthy again so they can get Aaron Hicks off the baseball field. That guy's garbage. I don't know if you saw um, his attempt at catching a long fly ball. It was pretty pretty funny. Um but the Yankees made another move. They acquired uh, right-handed pitcher Frankie Montes from the Athletics in their biggest move of the deadline. Uh, got the second-best arm on the market. They need another arm to kind of bolster the rotation. So good, good get for them there. Yeah, like I said, they're just trying to make moves. And I think that was a good pickup for them to try to solidify that rotation. Can play off time. You need as many good pitches as you can get, especially when you're towards the top of your uh, conference or league. But the Astros, who are at the top of their league, um, they acquired another Orioles player, uh, Trey Mancini, three-team deal we touched on earlier. The Rays were also involved in the deal, mostly prospects centered around the Mancini to Houston acquisition. Mancini played really well for him. I think in his first week he had like four home runs, including a grand slam. So he's played well, always a better hitter than fielder, but definitely can play some first, play some right if needed, and really supporting him. Um, one of my favorite Orioles in the past six years or so. And I think, you know, wherever he goes, I'm going to be rooting. So I think him going there will be good for him. Uh, while it's really disappointing because of all that he did for the city and all of what he had in the city, just growing up in Baltimore and stuff like that, I think is always tough when you trade a guy like that who had such deep connections to where he was from and the team he played for. But, it's just part of the business, and I think it'll be beneficial for the Astros in the long run. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, tough, tough to see Trey go, but at the same time, you know, Baltimore had to sell. Um, you know, they probably won't get to be back next year anyways, and they'll sign with a contender. So they, they do the right thing. They do right by Trey, let him go to a, a contender and try to win a World Series this year, which is good for him. Um, it'll kind of get to the, the well, second to last deal here. The Mariners acquired the top starting arm at the deadline as they acquired – Luis Castillo from the Reds in exchange for four prospects, a um, couple top prospects, a couple mid, mid-level prospects. Um, but they, they won the, the bidding war with the Yankees. Um, you know, a bunch of teams were in on Castillo, and, and the Mariners ended up paying the highest price, which they probably needed them the worst out of everybody. Um, they needed to get under arm in there, kind of bolster that bolster that starting lineup or starting, pitch, starting pitching rotation, rather. Um, as they make a playoff push, they're going to be in the – Looks like they're going to be in the playoffs. I don't want to say they're going to be, but it looks like they're going to be in the playoffs and kind of lock up that wild card spot or one of the three. Um, so they got to get in their arm in there to kind of bolster the rotation. And, you know, hopefully Castillo can be healthy for him. We've had some health issues this year, but nonetheless, they got the top arm of the deadline. Yeah, it was a good move for them. Uh, like you said, they need to bolster it a little bit. Uh, the Yankees made the first big deal acquisition. They got Ben Attendee from the Royals in exchange for a few prospects. Hasn't paid off too well for him, obviously, with their record in the last few weeks. Ben Tendi, a guy that's bounced around a little bit, had his most success early on in Boston, but he's a guy that can always turn it around. Good hitter, pretty good fielder. So, I mean, while it, they thought it was a good acquisition, I still think it can end up being really good. And 
I think that whole lineup just needs to find its groove. I mean, even Aaron Judge had a few nights without a homer. So they'll all find their groove, but I think it's just evident for every team to kind of hit holds cold stretch at some point in the season. That'll round out MLB, as we kind of talked about a lot today between the trade acquisitions, the standings, and then overall MLB news. Quick on the NBA, um, I mean, super short, kind of big news. Uh, regular season schedule will be released tomorrow at 2 Central, so that'll be exciting. Been some rumors of the opening night games and uh, Christmas games and New Year's and stuff like that, but the whole all 82 will be released tomorrow at two in about 24 hours or so. So that'll be exciting to see. Um, definitely want to hit up a few Spurs games. And then, kind of the big news over the past few weeks was that on July 31st, NBA legend Bill Russell passed away at 88 years old. Um, no health concerns, just of age and NBA announced it will retire number six league wide. Although players that are currently wearing the number can continue to wear it. Uh, just no players can switch to it or pick it when they're drafted. Uh, but Russell, I mean, probably the most successful NBA player ever as he had 11 NBA championships as a player, two as a coach, two NCAA championships, five NBA MVPs and was 11 time all NBA. Uh, so really, really impressive stuff from him. Obviously, the competition's a little higher nowadays, but he was so revolutionary to the game and to the league as a whole. I mean, not even the game. He was – I think the league wouldn't be where it is today without him along with a few other guys. So definitely did a ton for the league, and I think the respects were well paid to him as he passed away a few weeks ago. Yeah, definitely a legend of the game. Definitely a guy who did a lot for, for basketball and just a lot for society um, kind of around that time. Um you know, did a lot for the African American community, especially in just kind of the sports community as a whole. Um, he, you know, he's mentioned with the likes of Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali, um, guys like that who are just, you know, what they, what their impact went went beyond what they played, what they did in sports, um, which is always really, really, really awesome. Um, you know, Bill Russell is a great, a great guy. He, he mentored a lot of NBA players. Um, you know, namely, like he got Kobe Bryant was super close to Bill Russell. Um, that's just the guy off the top of my head, but um. Everyone who knew Bill loved Bill um, from what I've heard. And um, definitely the game definitely lost a legend. And I think the world definitely lost a legend. But nonetheless, he passed away peacefully. Um, and his legacy will no doubt be carried on uh, forever in the NBA, which is great to see. But that kind of wraps up the NBA. Now, again, not a lot going on this week in the past few weeks um, as it's just kind of the dead period in the NBA. But a lot of NFL news, uh, more a lot more football than basketball the past few weeks. But uh, NFL is kind of wrapping up here. The preseason we've got two more games left, and then we get to the regular season, which I know we're both excited about. Um, but kind of the first kind of hit of news we had was Danny Amendola retired on July 25th, uh, closing the book on a very successful career. Uh, guy who bounced around a bunch and um, just you know reliable, solid guy. Um, so yeah, a really good career for him under the Red Raiders. So um, yeah, good to see that he retired and kind of got to close the book on on his career on his own terms. Yeah, a guy that was really good, really versatile player and was key piece to, you know, when Tom was in New England and kind of picked up where Wells Welker, another Red Raider, left off. And I think they had similar roles and was really, really beneficial to the Belichick team. Um, but, yeah, the day after that, Chris Carson, uh, Seahawks running back, retired due to a neck injury, didn't want to risk having long-term damage or – even uh, becoming paralyzed. So that was good to see from Carson that he's choosing his health. I know a lot of, you know, a lot of guys don't go that and they just 
you know, play through stuff and all that. And you realize down the road that they have, you know, long-term illnesses or stuff like that. So it's good to see um, Kenneth Walker should have a huge impact this year in fantasy and uh, for the Seahawks as, you know, the quarterback situation is still up for grabs. It looks like Drew Locke had a pretty good first preseason game. Um, but I think they're going to be run heavy regardless. I mean, they re-signed DK, which we'll touch on. But I don't think that offense is going to be as pass-happy as it was with Russ. Yeah, I mean, just naturally with the drop-off in quarterback play, it shouldn't be as pass-heavy. But nonetheless, they still got some, some really good receivers there to throw to. Um, another receiver news, the Bucks signed wide receiver Julio Jones on a one-year $6 million contract that can reach $8 million with incentives. Um you know, good move there. Similar profile to Mike Evans at this point in his career, really big body. Um, just a guy to mentor young players, though. Um, you know, having a guy like Julio in the receiver rooms is going to do nothing but good things, whether or not he plays football. He gets on the field this year. He's going to be basically another coach in the, in, the, in the film room and just, like I said, a legend of the game. Um, guy who's going to be a Hall of Famer. So always going to learn from a guy who's a master at their craft, whether or not he's actually playing or not. Um, so going to be able to learn from him and, and get better at uh, their craft as well. So. Yeah, that'll be beneficial. Uh, Chris Godwin just got back from his ACL recovery as well. So him, Mike Evans, Julio, I think they'll all learn from each other and it'll benefit that core even more. Um, I'm going to rip off a couple here, uh, both from Seattle. KJ Wright, the longtime Seahawks linebacker, really, really pivotal on that Super Bowl winning team, uh, retired as well a few weeks ago. And then they also, like I said, Seattle signed DK Metcalf to a three-year, $72 million deal. Uh, it came with 52.8 mil guaranteed. Um, expect him to be in Seattle throughout the deal. I don't think he'll be traded, and I think he'll remain there for the next few years. I think maybe after that he goes somewhere else, but for now I think he's staying put in Seattle. Yeah, he'll be there for a while. I think I think he probably leaves there pretty soon, but you never know. I mean, they're probably going to draft Bryce or CJ up in the upcoming draft, so – Hopefully, DK gets a quarterback that's actually good um, outside of Geno and Drew Locke. So, we'll see there. Um, I'll get get a couple D-line news in here. Uh, Carlos Dunlap signed a one-year $8 million deal with KC um, just to bolster that defensive line pass rush. And then Ryan Kerrigan retired on July 29th. Um, the guy who had a really successful career out of Purdue, uh, played in Washington his whole career. Um, kind of the face of that. Or I guess not. I think he played – Maybe one or two years with a couple with a different franchise. I, mean, I think it was the Jets. He played with for a year, and his career is somewhere. I know he I played so, and finished yeah. his career with Washington. I think it was another team. I'm drawing a blank because there's just so much going on. Um, but it, uh, kind of basically just a Washington lifer, a guy who's a cornerstone of that franchise and a really good veteran leader for them for a while. Um, so good to see him retire kind of on his own terms again. Um, hate to see guys have to retire due to injury. So good to see a guy like him retire on his own terms. Yeah, a guy that really, I mean, did a lot for that Washington defense and was really pivotal. I mean, he was there for 10 years, I think, and seemed like he, he was the one that stayed healthy and was always beneficial. Had a couple of minor, minor injuries, but nothing that affected him too much. And I know he'll be missed in Washington and as a Washington kind of, rebrands everything and gets some new guys in, uh, likely moving to Virginia as well. So I think Kerry can close the book at the right time. And I think he'll be, he's very happy with how his career went. And now he gets to spend the rest of his life, rest of his life with his family and kids. So good decision for him there. And I think it was at the right time uh, to close out July, uh, another big wide receiver deal as 
49ers and star receiver Debo Samuel agreed on a three-year, $73.5 million deal with 58.1 mil guaranteed. So as you look back at the DK deal a couple of days before, DK had 100000 more guaranteed, but Debo is making half a mil more per year. So DK will be making 24 a year, and Debo will be making 24 and a half a year. Uh, doesn't really mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things, but that's just kind of a market thing. And Debo wanted, I think, to wait maybe until he could know what kind of deal he could get and command. Um, I did just that, I mean, with DK. Debo, I think they're deserving of similar deals and play very different roles, but both have similar impacts to their team as a whole. And then to open up August, uh, Deshaun Watson was handed a six-game suspension as the talks that had spanned multiple months had finally wrapped up. And then a few days later, NFL announced that they're going to appeal that suspension and pursue a year-long suspension. Currently, it seems like that's going to be the case, uh, just waiting on the judge and final rulings, but it seems like Deshaun could be out this whole season as he did play in the preseason game a few days ago and started that um, far from impressive showing from him in the first game back. Um, but yeah, it looks like Deshaun won't be playing this year as of now. Yeah. Glad the NFL is going to appeal the suspension. Um, you know, who knows what's, what's going to happen with it, but I, it sounds like it's going to be at least 12 games, if not a year. Um, I mean, I think the Browns are probably prepared for that. Um, Maybe they're not. I think they were kind of planning on eight games, but I hope he gets the whole year. Um, seems necessary. But kind of move on to a couple other things. Uh, the Cardinals agreed to a three-year, $66.8 million extension for their left tackle, DJ Humphreys, which is an incredible move. They had to get him locked up. He's been nothing but solid for them. So um, got to get the left tackle locked up while you can. And the Cowboys signed uh, veteran linebacker Anthony Barr to a one-year, $3 million deal. High risk, low reward, or low risk, high reward, rather. Um you know, Anthony Barr's a vet. He just gets that linebacker room better. Super cheap deal. Um, and, and, you know, if he if he kind of has a revitalization year, that'd be great for the Cowboys. And if not, they're only losing $3 million out of it. So, um, really good move there for them. Yeah, I think it is beneficial. And I think they're a team that could use that linebacker depth as they've had a revolving door there since Sean Lee retired. Um, I mean, he's a hard hitter and pretty versatile there when he was in Minnesota. I'd be looking forward to see how he does with Dallas. Um, but another move uh, in the wide receiver room, the Steelers and their wide receiver, Deontay Johnson, agreed on a two-year, $36.71 million deal. So about 18 and a half a year, a uh, pretty good deal as Deontay had a really, really good uh, 2021 season after, you know, 2019-20 struggle with drops. He really improved in 2021 and had a solid stat line and was really good for that Steelers team. And then, uh, not wide receiver. The Ravens signed the goat kicker, Justin Tucker, uh, and agreed on a four-year, $24 million extension, 17 and a half guaranteed. So six a year, but it won't kick in for another couple years as he's currently playing out his deal. It has two years left. He's now under contract for the next six seasons and will be a free agent after the 2027 season at 38 years old. Probably retires then maybe. Who knows? Um, but definitely a good, good move to get to get him locked up long-term, um, you know, a lot of money for a kicker, but they're valuable, especially a guy like him who can do what he does. Um, so there's no one like him in the NFL. He's the best kicker in, in of our generation, maybe of all time. I mean, the guy's more than automatic. So um, not only that, but he can hit from range. So really impressive stuff and a great move from the Ravens front office there. Um, 
couple non-contract related moves here. Um, the Bengals announced that their home field, Paul Brown Stadium, will be now be called Paycor Stadium. Kind of lame. Bengals fans hate it. I'm not a huge fan either. So, uh, kind of a lame move there with stadium renames. Definitely not. Definitely not the travesty that is Heinz Field, but still not great. Um, and then Bears All-Pro linebacker Rokon Smith has requested a trade due to the Bears not valuing him at the level he believes he is worth in terms of a contract. Um, the it, the reports for the NFL, all 31 teams have been told to not to quote not tamper with him. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. If he wants a trade, they're going to have to call and ask about it. So uh, I think the NFL is being a little ambiguous there. Shocker. Um, I hope Roquan gets moved. It doesn't look like he's going to right now. I mean, I, I don't know if I want to move a young all-pro linebacker either, but, um, you know, that's what he wants. Unless they're going to pay him what he deserves, he's going to want to get moved. Um, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully the Bears pay him. They should, but don't be shocked if the Bears make another boneheaded decision and don't play this guy. Yeah, I mean – I would love for him to be on the Ravens. Obviously, I don't think the Ravens can financially support that, but want to see him succeed and get the money he deserves. Uh, Jets offensive tackle Makai Becton suffered an avulsion fracture on the right kneecap and is likely out for the season. And to fill Becton's spot, the Jets signed offensive tackle Dwayne Brown to a three-year, $22 million deal. So, or I believe it's two years. Um, but he's looking – that's looking good for the Jets. I mean, they need O-line, and I think – It'll be a little improved this year. I think Becton's a really good player, but Dwayne Brown isn't too bad, obviously, up there in age. Um, maybe it's better than nothing, and you get him down for a few years, and I think it'll be beneficial to that line as a whole and to help bring in that leadership. And then also Brown's all-pro returner and former Red Raider, Jakeem Grant, tore his Achilles in practice and will miss the upcoming season. Definitely disappointing for the Browns as they've had a few injuries Um you know, their center that they thought was going to start towards ACL. Backup center, Dawson Deaton, also Red Raider, he towards ACL. Um, so really disappointing there for Cleveland. I missed all the Deshaun Watson stuff as well. So I don't know what's the outlook for the season is going to be for them. But definitely, you know, a guy like Jakeem Grant, who's one of the smaller guys and has made a career of being a return man and perfecting his craft there. Uh, got the All-Pro nod last year with uh, Chicago, I believe, was is sad to see with the Achilles tear, but it's part of the game. So he'll be going through the rehab and get geared up for next season. Not to mention the Kareem Hunt trade request as well, which I don't think they're going to – they won't grant that, I don't think, but he does want out. He wants to go be a lead back somewhere, which I don't blame him. He wants to get paid. So, um, yeah, a lot going on for the Browns right now. Um, and then longtime Patriots running back, James White, has retired from the NFL. Uh, largely known for his game-winning touchdown against the Falcons in Super Bowl in overtime. Um, had a good career, just wanted to retire young. I, I don't blame him. Uh, keep the body healthy. Want to be able to, you know, play catch with your kids, coach your kids someday, and you can't do that if you're in a, you know, in a wheelchair. You can't walk because the time you're 50 because you got bad knees. So um, good move for him there. Glad to see he was able to, like I said, retire on his own terms and uh, kind of do what he wants to do the rest of his life. And uh, former Patriot. Current Bucks quarterback Tom Brady will not be with the team for a couple of weeks for personal reasons. Um, kind of a guess around um, most people's guess is that he just wants to be with his kids before they start school. A lot of people are thinking that he is kind of regretting unretiring at this point. Um, you know, I don't think he plays more than one more year, um, but you never know. Uh, I think he just may want to have some time with his family, uh, have some to kind of talk and decompress a little bit. So, uh, nothing, nothing, nothing too. I think alarming is from kind of from sources. So. Uh, you know, good to see that nothing's going wrong with Tommy. He's just in personal time. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously a guy of his caliber. I mean, been in the year league a long time, 22 seasons, I believe. And, I mean, they said it was to kind of pursue a better work-life balance is the reason he's taking a couple weeks off. But, I mean, obviously having him at camp will be a lot more beneficial than not having him, you know, running reps with all the guys, especially with Julio and Godwin back. It's important that they get that time together. But I don't know what his plans are, I think. You know, I saw some. It was like he came back strictly because Rappaport spoiled his retirement announcement. Schefter, yeah. Schefter, yeah. yeah. And then uh, <laughs> he's kind of coming back to prove that he can still do it and he doesn't want to retire yet. Uh, but I think he definitely does. I think it's time for him to hang with his family and stuff like that and close the book. So I think, you know, if he ends up playing the full season, I think it'll be his final year. And I don't know where his kids are at in grade school, but I think that'll probably have a role as well. Uh, maybe if they're starting high school or something, he wants to spend time with them before they head off to college. So that could all play a role. Um, whether it's actually the case or not, I guess we don't know. But a few other things. Uh, Jet to QB Zach Wilson. He suffered what was initially believed uh, to be a torn ACL with only a bone bruise and a meniscus tear in their preseason game. Expected to miss two to four weeks, and his status is uncertain for week one. Uh, which is against the Ravens. So if he's not ready to go, it'll be Joe Flacco, which will be starting for the Jets, which, which will be exciting. Uh, it won't be in Baltimore, though. It'll be in New Jersey uh, at MetLife. But that'll be really exciting if Joe Flacco can start. Uh, I'd honestly rather have Zach Wilson to start. Um, you know, Flacco in his first day with the ones at practice, he went 13 of 15 with four touchdowns and no picks. So really impressive there. I know Garrett Wilson, the rookie receiver, talked about, you know, the difference between Flacco and Zach. And I think, it seems like he likes Flacco better based off the way he was talking. Um, you know, he's saying Flacco throws a more receiver-friendly ball and takes some off of it with the slants versus the outs and stuff like that. So it sounds like he likes Flacco better. I don't know if the team as a whole does. Obviously, Flacco has experience. He's been through it all. Um, so it'll be fun to see if he is the quarterback. But regardless, I mean, they're, Jets fans, I think, are hoping to get Zach back as soon as possible. And then to round out – NFL news, uh, the Dolphins were stripped of their 2023 first-round pick and their 2024 third-round pick for violating integrity of the game policies due to attempts to reach out to Tom Brady dating back to 2019. This is kind of out of the blue. We knew they initially talked about it in this past offseason, but the fact that it was since 2019, I think, caught a few people by surprise. And the fact that, like, is a first-round next year just going to be 31 picks? Like, it's really weird how it's going to work and stuff like that. So – you know, with all draft pick and implications and stuff like that, it's going to be really interesting Interesting to see how the Dolphins approach this upcoming season because, I mean, it looks like they're going to be a team that's going to be wanting to compete as best they can. They're not going to lose anything or try to lose anything. I mean, obviously, without having a first, there's no reason to either. Um, but I think it'll make that division more competitive, hopefully, and it'll make the draft night really weird as well. Yeah, no, he uh... – well, the reports are that the NFL is still kind of looking into them. They may be handing out some, a couple more fines. Uh, I saw that, I think, this morning or last night. Um, but before we get to the ice bath, all I'm going to say about the difference between Zach Wilson and Joe Flacco, in my opinion, Joe Flacco doesn't have that dog in him. That's all I'm going to say. Zach Wilson has that dog, certified. Certified dog, you know what I'm saying? So, like, listen, I know Joe looks good. He's just a vet. It's, pre, it's, it's preseason in camp. He knows how to dice up the defense. His own defense, he's in practice all the time, but Listen, Zach's got that dog in him. I put nothing past Zach Wilson this year, MVP. You know what I'm saying? He'll be back in a week. You know, what I'm, listen, 
with that dog in him, he'll be back in a week. No problem. He doesn't need the surgery. He'll just repair himself. He's got he's that, that much of a dog in him. It's fine. No, I saw a couple of replies to tweets. It was like the MRIs came back, and it was like the X-rays of like the torso with like yeah, the seven do- the, dogs. The dog. in yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was it was funny the whole situation. Obviously, yeah. One thought that he would have a big season and kind of take that year two leap that some guys do. And while he still could if he's only missing you know a game or two, uh, definitely a little bit frightening to Jets fans and. You know, maybe they don't have the same outlook on the season as a whole. Maybe some are happy that he's injured. Um, but overall, I mean, I think it doesn't really change a whole lot for the Jets. Um, not really playing for too much this season in a good division. I mean, I'm picking him to finish last whenever we release our season standings and uh, record predictions. And, uh, I mean, it's the Jets at the end of the day, so can't expect too much. And I mean, they haven't done anything since Mark Sanchez. So uh, I don't think they're going to get anywhere. I mean, really regardless with who they have at quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see how Zach comes back and produces for that team. And hopefully they play well. Um, I just like when teams play well, regardless of maybe outside my division. I mean, the better teams play, the better competition is, the stronger teams are, and the better equipped they are for the playoffs. So I like it when teams are playing and not tanking and, you know, putting their best product on the field. But that'll close it up. Uh, we each got two ice baths here today. Um, as we kind of round out the episode, we'll just alternate if you want to start us off, and then I'll wrap it up with my second one at the end. And then, yeah, and if you want to go ahead. Yeah, no doubt. I'll kick it off with something, with something real hot here. We had a lot to pick from for the past few weeks. I went with something recent. Well, not the news, but the, the commercial that came out is recent. Uh, Nebraska wide receiver, DeColdis Crawford, as we know, has the best NIL deal in the country. It will never be topped. It's that it, We should just stop doing NIL deals. No one's going to beat this one. He teamed up with a local heating and AC company, uh, SOS Heating and Air, I believe, where he is helping them advertise that they'll keep local Lincoln residents the coldest this summer if they call their company. The commercial, I think Andrew Schultz tweeted it out. Whatever they paid him, they didn't pay him enough. This commercial is is epic. He's talking about, hey, I'm the coldest Crawford. You call SOS Heating and Air. They're going to keep you the coldest this summer. Trust me, I would know. Like, it's incredible. The whole commercial is awesome. This guy's legend of the game. Best NIL deal out there. Nobody's – I don't care that B.J. Robinson got the, got the Lambo deal. I don't care about the Beats deal for, for Caleb Williams or the Nike deal or whatever. The best one out there is SOS Heating and the coldest Crawford. And nobody's going to convince me otherwise. He's got the best NIL deal. First of all, the best, maybe the best name in college football. The coldest? And he plays wide out? Come on. Gotta, gotta be. So, all I'm saying is, SOS hitting in air. They got it right with the coldest Crawford. And if you live in Lincoln, if you're listening, I'm going to give them the endorsement. Call SOS hitting in air, and they'll keep you the coldest this summer. So, that's all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I saw the commercial. watched it a few times. Uh didn't think it would go quite how it went. Uh, it was definitely funny to see, you know, like the glass breaking and stuff like that. And him <laughs> yeah. just talking with a, you know, on the uh, commercial, just with kind of a monotone voice. It was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, hard to mess up that. The guy named the coldest um, with the AC getting him hooked up on a deal. So that was, that was pretty funny. And I mean, the best deal out there, like you said, um, 
But to kick off mine, the Detroit Lions are the featured team this year on Hard Knocks. And rookie Aiden Hutchinson was up on the stage in their meeting room, and he was singing Billie Jean. I don't know if it was like a rookie like talent show or something, but he was singing Billie Jean. And he was in front of the whole team that was just sitting in the seats, coaches there too. And after a minute or so of you know getting into the song, everyone was getting into it, getting turned up a little bit. Uh, but the best part was that someone in the second row, uh, it was kind of a group of guys sitting in the second row back from the front, so pretty close, um, took his shirt off. It was like a gray shirt or something, if you find the video. And he just threw it. He like took it off and threw it instantly. And then the guy in the front row, while the shirt was like, he threw it to the front towards Hutchinson. The guy in the front row was like getting turned up. And then this guy in the front catches the shirt midair without even looking. He like sees it out of the corner of his eye and really quick grabs it and starts flinging it like around in a circle above his head. It was really, really funny that, you know, just caught it out of midair. Really impressive coordination from the guy in the front. I don't know what position he played. Um, but it was funny to see, you know, everyone was just getting turned up to the song and whatever. And it was funny to see just a shirt fly out. Just, first of all, guy to take his shirt off and just throw it, like, instincts. Like, okay, like in a meeting room. And then for another guy to catch it and start swinging it and, like, not even thinking about, like, giving it back to the guy or anything. Just, like, it was all so fluid and it was really funny to watch. That's a good one. I, I actually have not watched the first episode. I need to watch it tonight. Um, well, looking for, I love Hard Knocks. I watch it every year. I've heard that this season is really good. I've heard Dan Campbell's awesome. Uh, MCDC, the GOAT. Um, but my second ice bath today is kind of along similar similar lines as Hard Knocks. So the Chargers dropped their trailer. For the second season of their YouTube series called All In, uh, it drops bi-weekly. Essentially, it's a shorter version of Hard Knocks. Um, they drop you know once every couple of weeks, but they do it throughout the whole season. Kind of just an inside look of the operation and some of the, some of the stuff that goes on. It's a really good watch, whether or not you're a Chargers fan or not. Um, it's just interesting to hear the players talk about stuff as the season goes on and um, kind of see kind of some mic'd up moments that you don't really get to see otherwise. Um, kind of some practice moments, some reading room moments. So really cool, um, really great for Chargers fans. Again, if I think it's a good watch, even if you're not a Chargers fan, I think it's just cool to see the inside kind of inner workings of the NFL team through the season. Um, I'm super pumped for the season. It got me even more pumped. Uh, can't wait for football to be back. Can't wait for the NFL to be back. I got a couple of fantasy drafts lately that have been kind of getting getting my gears going for, uh, for football season. Um, can't wait for Saturday mornings, wake up, throw on ESPN, get some college game day going, and then spend my Sundays watching football. Um, really excited for it. So, nonetheless, um, definitely looking forward to it. And the all-in trailer was great. So, um, that's going to kind of wrap up my ice bath for this episode. Oh yeah, definitely pumped uh, when we you know get all the record predictions out there based off the schedules and start betting games, and it'll be fun. Got to get my fantasy uh, teams up and going. Got to join a couple leagues. Get that all squared before the drafts take place and before the season kicks off. Uh, hopefully, won't be working on the weekends too much. Um, but going to be watching as much football as I can. Um, just got to manage my time right if I want to watch, you know, some games and not be just sitting around because normally I just, like, follow sports and I don't get stuff done, and then I can't watch sports when it's actually on because I didn't do the stuff. And then it's like I got to get to watching sports and getting my stuff. So that'll be uh, fun to watch, you know, college on Friday, Saturday football or pro on Thursday, Sunday, Monday. So five straight days and kind of Tuesday or Tuesday and Wednesday uh, be maybe some more chill days, not much football kind of transitioning to the upcoming 
week of football uh but to round out my um ice bath we had the nfl top 100 unveiled this past week even though it was only the 100 through 51 ranking um but it's currently being revealed on NFL Network over the next few weeks. And Justin Tucker, fresh off the record-breaking extension, he came in on ni- at 94 on the list. First ever kicker on the list. Um, I I'm, I'm assume first ever kicker or punter. Still a little low, I think, uh, but I'll take it. Uh, 94 in the league. I mean, I don't think he's the 94th best player. I mean, he's the best at his position. So I think he's got to be maybe in the 80s, high 70s. Um, not a huge deal, though. I mean, it is voted on by the players, but I don't think the players take into account as much kickers as they do the guys they're actually going against. Um, so it's fun to watch. I always love watching the top 100. Um, it'll be shown every Sunday the next few weeks. So the next episode will be this upcoming Sunday, August 21st at 3.30 Central. We will have 50 through 31 released on the list on NFL Network. And then after that, we're going to have you know, 30 to 21 and 20 to one. So the next three Sundays, we're going to have some rankings on NFL Network. So make sure to stay tuned to that. We'll be talking about it when we pick up, pick back up on the podcast a week from today when we start our Tuesday and Friday schedule. Like we said, to kick off the episode, the Tuesdays are going to be all sports, like a traditional episode with the Thursday night football preview and a prediction for that along with any other NFL news like injuries or lineup changes. So we're not really going to be talking about much football as a whole, other than, like I said, the injuries or changes and then Thursday night. So because if we talk about football, then what's the point of a Friday episode? So Friday is going to be covering the football as a whole. You know, we, like we said, talking about Texas Tech game previews each week, college football ranked matchups. Each of us are going to pick two matchups. And then for NFL, we're going to recap the Thursday game, Uh, make predictions for all of the games on Sunday and Monday, look at our predictions and recap all the top storylines. So make sure y'all stay tuned. Um, We're back in action now as we're going to kind of kick off episode one of the revised schedule, so to speak a week from today. Uh, So 22 episodes in been a lot of fun as we kind of get back on track here. Um, Still going to be real busy next few weeks before we settle into the semester and, get our weekly schedules down and stuff like that. They're going to take some adjusting, but after that, we're going to get in a nice groove and rhythm and rip these off pretty consistently. Uh, But excited to get this back and going. The first 22 have been a lot of fun. Uh, All the mock draft Mondays and all of that. It's been a lot of fun. Just make sure if you want to stay tuned, I know we haven't done as much recently, but you know, with football and the semester starting up, we're going to be more active on the social medias as well. Tweeting out more news. Um, just talking about more stuff, announcing some things possibly that we have planned down the line later in the semester and stuff like that. So stay tuned at Cold Seat Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. We appreciate doing this every week for y'all, and we will see y'all a week from today. See you guys later.